I'm Alicia. And I'm Ashley. And we are Murd Nerds. Hello, fellow Murd Nerds. If you're a returning listener, Thank you for joining us again. We hope that you've been enjoying our content. And if you're newly a Murd Nerd and curious about what this is all about, Murd Nerds Podcast is a true crime show covering the weird, mysterious, and unsolved in our home state of Indiana. Each week, either my lifelong best friend and co-host Ashley or myself, Alicia, will research, retell, and dissect a true crime case that we found interesting. Also on board with us is our producer and editor, Jeremy, of Golden Mojo Music. Sup? Jeremy, you have a podcast. I do have a podcast, Golden Image Podcast. Find it on all your streaming services. It's pretty good. It's pretty pretty good. good. Thank you. So recently we started a new beginning segment where we have listeners write in a question that you would like us to answer. It can be anything. And we thought that it would be fun to shake things up a bit in the beginning. So Jeremy... Would you care to read this week's question? Well, this week's question uh, comes from at the Green Bee 22 on Instagram. Now, what is the Green Bee, you say? Let me tell you all about it. The Green Bee is a small local sister-owned business in Elkhart, Indiana. They just opened their very first refillery and zero-waste shop in northern Indiana. Most don't know what this even means because the concept is so new. There are three unique parts of the shop. The refillery part of the shop features home and beauty products in bulk. So if you can bring in a container of your own or purchase from the store and fill up various products like shampoo and conditioner, laundry detergent, lotion, and the list goes on. You can bring your container back when you need to refill, therefore reducing how much plastic you waste. The zero-waste concept you will find throughout the shop. They have all sorts of plastic-free and eco-friendly everyday household and beauty items. You'll come across a lot of bamboo, silicone, and biodegradable products. Lastly, they have gifts and home decor incorporated into the shop that features all locally handmade eco-friendly items. Nothing goes to waste at the Green Bee. You can find them at 23647 U.S. 33 Suite A in Elkhart. That's the gray house in front of the House of Herbs. They are also on Facebook and Instagram. That's at GreenBee22. Please like and follow. And anyone who tags or checks into while shopping will receive a 5% off their purchase. Hey. Mm-hmm. They are also... Um Working on their their grand opening, I believe, was today. Oh wow! Which what's the date today? Today is March eighteenth. So yeah, March eighteenth today. So we're gonna be in the future here, but um, future, yeah, the future. Or actually, we're from the past. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I asked Brandy to. She's a, one of the owners. I asked her and Ashley, her sister, to make us some stone magnets so they basically will, you know, make some kind of murdered stone and they're going to be selling those in there as well for us. So, and everything's upcycled. Like, Brandy, literally, we loaded up my mom's mattress. She's going to use all of the springs in my mom's mattress. Oh, wow. To make something. I think she uses everything in the mattress except for the casing, obviously. That's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, everything's upcycled, super eco-friendly. It's a cool store. I've been there. It's it's very nice. So, yeah, if you want your first little bit of Murd Nerds merch. Murd Nerds. Merch. Merch Nerds. (laughs) Merch Nerds. (laughs) Well, let's get to her question, shall we? Here it is. What is your favorite thing about Indiana? Do you want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. Mine's kind of cliche. Uh, Mine's probably is too. I love that we have seasons here. And I don't love that because it changes. I love it because like the past couple days here in Indiana have been really warm after having like really cold temperatures. And it just 
changes your entire mood going from cold to warm. And then when by the time summer's over, you're done. You're like, I'm ready for cold temperatures yeah, it's like again. Humid, yeah. Yeah. And then once you get those first couple of crisp days, you're like, this is wonderful. <laughs> and then you go through the whole cycle again. Like, I'm so sick of snow. I'm so sick of mm-hmm. it being cold. And then you get that first heat break when it's like 70 degrees and you're like, this is the best I've felt in forever. So it's, I, I really like that. Not just because we get to experience all four seasons, basically. I mean, spring and fall are like, a month long, I feel. But. Yeah, well, we kind of skip those most most years. Yeah, but just those first couple of days of enjoying the weather switch is, I don't know, man. Makes it, you... That's very poetic. I think you might have a toxic relationship with Indiana. <laughs> You're like, those two days are so good, but those other 300 and whatever are terrible. <laughs> but no, I get you. We do. We appreciate we appreciate it, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. It can't be Christmas every day Is mm-hmm. is that kind of... Some people have never even seen snow. Yeah. Snow's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Like, I wouldn't appreciate warm weather if I had warm weather every day. No, you wouldn't. You'd be like, ugh. Here we go. Another 70 degree day. Yeah, napping on, like, a beautiful day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to expand on that a little bit more, I'm I'm a homebody. I love to be in my home doing stuff like we're doing right now. Yeah. So... When the winter when winter comes, I mean, I just you get Feel a nice cozy. warm room, and you know, just you got your TV or your or your recording equipment, and you just kind of stay in there and mm. stay all nice and cozy. Eat some soup, some soup, soup in the warm no. soup wrapped in a snuggie in the winter no, is chili. like chili, yeah, chili. Oh. Man, I'm more of a soup guy, but <laughs> I do love chili. I do love chili. Chili is a soup. So yeah, but chili's chili. It's fucking different than soup. <laughs> I stand by. I will die on that mountain. It's maybe a stew. Mm. Like a be. Oh, what worries me is I she's a chili guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> chili guy. yeah. Okay. Well, how about you, Ashley? Um, I don't know. I really like being close to Chicago. That's kind of a big deal. Like, yeah. Chicago is a big deal, and we're we're a hop away from it it takes no time to get there i would say a hop skip and a jump a hop skip and a a a light leap (laughs) away and this is gonna sound bad but i do like that we have like kind of like some cool like mob history because we're so close to chicago makes me feel like i don't know it's like a little cooler than other states i indiana gets forgotten about i feel yeah we do we're the goddamn crossroads of america Cool. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but the main thing for me is Indiana is kind of like low-key outdoorsy. We don't have mountains, deserts, any anything too extreme. But what we do have is really good hiking trails. Mm-hmm. We've got great fishing ponds, rivers to kayak in, and wonderful places to camp. But it's like chill. We don't have like fucking bears around every corner and like yeah you know just like you talked about in your circus episode like a lion or like a bobcat's the scariest thing you're gonna see yeah so and and also like angry deer wait some coyotes well yeah yeah, but they're coyotes ain't shit unless there's a bunch of them yeah they're more scared of you yeah exactly so yeah i just that's my pace beers on the river you know, oh, I can't wait chill. to a good kayak. Holy in. shit. Shout out to Mongo. Right? Oh, I Camp thought ground. you just did the three fingers in the air, like the. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is that from? Hunger Games. That's what I thought. Okay. I wanted to say the hangover. I was so. The hangover Games? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. <laughs> oh. That does sound like a. Oh, wow. <laughs> So this week I've decided to switch up the mood a little bit. Like I explained during episode 16, doing every episode as an unsolved case kind of takes its toll on us mentally. So I chose to do a survival story. Yes. Yeah. Finally. It's still a big roller coaster of emotions, but the woman involved was able to live to tell her tale. I am retelling the survival story of Anita Woldridge of Kokomo, Indiana. My sources include an episode of FBI Files, MonstersAndCritics.com, and the actual case files from IN.gov. So it's not even an episode of I Survived? No. Noise. 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 So 21-year-old Anita Woldridge was a college graduate living at home with her parents in Kokomo, Indiana. 
on June 25th, 1998. She was home alone most of the day until she was set to have lunch with her parents and her boyfriend. Her boyfriend was supposed to pick her up around noon that day. Then after lunch, she was working an evening shift at the local shipping company that she had been an employee of since graduating. At 12.30 p.m., Anita's mother came home from work. When she pulled up, she noticed that Anita's boyfriend was standing outside her home. He stated Anita wasn't answering the door, and they also noticed that Anita's car was gone and the garage door was left open. This was completely unlike Anita. She was very reliable and would never miss any kind of plans that she had made. When they entered the garage to go into the home, they noticed a window screen on the floor of the garage. Anita's mother immediately panicked and wondered if the house had been broken into and then began worrying for her daughter. As they walked into the home, Anita's mother began calling for her daughter, but she never responded. And in the kitchen, she found drops of blood on the kitchen table and also smeared blood on on the linoleum floor. So she immediately called 911. Detective Steve Rogers, no, not Captain America. Are you sure? (laughs) I'm sure. Was the officer on call and immediately went to the Woldridge home. He called in an APB alert for Anita and her blue sedan. Do you know what an APB alert is? (gasps) APB, all points bulletin. What? I think that, I don't know what the... The words are, but it is it's all points bulletin. <laughs> it's like a bolo. Be on the lookout, basically. Oh, okay. So an APB is described as a general bulletin broadcast to alert law enforcement officers over a wide area that someone or something is being actively sought in connection with a crime. Also arriving at the Woldridge home were various crime scene techs and investigators who immediately began combing the inside and outside of the home for clues to what may have happened to Anita. They took samples of the blood from the kitchen to test, and they were trying to find out if it was Anita's. They found that the screen that was in the garage was from a window in the kitchen, so they dusted the window for prints. Unfortunately, they were unable to find any clues. Detectives interviewed Anita's mother and father to get an idea of what kind of person Anita is. They described her as a dependable, responsible young woman. They stressed that Anita would never leave without notifying someone where she was going and absolutely would never break plans without calling or telling someone first. This all was completely out of character and very concerning. She would never run off without an explanation. Detectives then turned questioning onto Anita's boyfriend, who was at the home when her mother arrived. He and Anita had only been dating for a few months prior to this. He stated he had arrived at the Woldridge home at 11.45 a.m. and had been there for 45 minutes before her mother had shown up. Before that, he had been with friends until around 11 a.m. That left 90 minutes where no one could back up his whereabouts, but he agreed to go down to the station for more questioning. The detectives proceeded to go through the rest of the house looking for anything that could give them an idea of where Anita may be. When they walked into Anita's room, her mother pointed out that her work clothes were still perfectly folded and left on her dresser. Her mother called Anita's work, asking if she had ever arrived for her shift, and they said she hadn't yet. So, Mrs. Woodridge also noticed that a red robe that she had recently embroidered and gifted to her daughter was missing from her bedroom. They carried on throughout the home, searching and making their way into the bathroom, where they discovered another concerning clue. Anita's contacts and glasses were both still left on the bathroom sink where she always put them. Anita had very poor vision and couldn't see without her her contacts or her glasses, and she definitely wouldn't be able to drive without them. But both her keys and her car were gone. Crime scene techs were able to gather samples from her brush to extract DNA to compare to the blood found in the kitchen. When they made their way into Mr. and Mrs. Woldridge's room, They both noticed immediately that their bed was in complete disarray. They always made their bed, but now it was completely disheveled. Not only that, the comforter was missing. Investigators immediately suspected that maybe Anita had been sexually assaulted on the bed. They used UV lights to search the bed for bodily fluids, but the bed was completely clean. Yeah, when the... When the top blanket's missing, that's always like they wrapped the body in it yeah. like, type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That'd be my, that was my first thought when you said that. So when officers went back to the garage, they found a wad of black electrical tape on the ground. After inspecting the tape, they found pieces of hair that looked very similar to Anita's. She was a redhead, so it was pretty obvious mm-hmm. yeah. what they found. They believed that this tape had been wrapped around her head and was used to gag her, which 
that was a good sign. You wouldn't think so. But this meant that Anita left her home alive. Mm -hmm. By this time, it would have been past the time Anita was to be at work. Officer Rogers called to speak with Anita's supervisor, and he stated that Anita was still not there. This was extremely odd behavior from her. She always came to work, even when she was sick or had something going on. She would still make it to work and was a model employee. Detectives began going through the area asking anyone if they had witnessed anything strange earlier that day to gather possible suspects. A deputy was able to talk to the neighbor across the street, and he had stated that he had witnessed someone walking up to the front of the house at around 10.30 a.m. He had never seen him before, so he didn't recognize him, but he did remember that he had a blue backpack. But he didn't see anyone else around outside when he returned a half an hour later. Unfortunately, he couldn't remember if he saw her car there in the driveway or not. They proceeded to do dozens more interviews, but nothing more panned out. I was going to ask if, like, when he, you know, was the garage door open, was the car... He doesn't remember. Yeah. He just remembers seeing the man. The the boyfriend, you said, w- w- had stayed outside for 45 minutes of the house? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a little odd? It's a little odd, but... And the what, garage door what... was open, so why didn't he go inside? Oh, maybe the g- door from the garage to the house was locked. Oh, yeah, maybe. Because a lot of people don't lock those doors because they feel safe because the garage is there, but you always should lock that door. Garage doors are easier easy. than you think oh, to Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. Super, super easy to break. Easy. Yeah. 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 So after 24 hours, no one had seen Anita or her vehicle. At the police station, a friend of Anita's father was being questioned. He had, to, had told them that he had spoken to Anita the morning that she went missing. He had called around 10.30 a.m., which was the same time that the neighbor had seen the man, and asked to speak to her father, Mr. Wooldridge. Anita said that her father was gone and she was home alone. Then the friend heard the doorbell ring in the background as he was leaving a message for her dad, so Anita asked if he could hold on for a second while she went and answered the door. So, obviously, this is in the 90s when you had home phones that were on court. Yeah. Um. Several seconds later, she returned to the phone and said that she had to go without taking his message, but she didn't mention who was at the door, and the phone records did confirm that this happened. Law enforcement decided the best course of action to go with next was to set up a phone tap. They believed if Anita was kidnapped, like they suspected, the kidnapper could possibly make contact with the family, most likely to taunt them or to ask for money or whatever for her return. Criminal techs immediately established the phone tap to be ready whenever the kidnapper would call. Investigators started doing a deep dive on finding out if there was anyone that would be interested in harming or getting back at Anita or her family. They had no immediate suspects and were reaching for anything. Officers reached out to Anita's coworkers at the shipping company, and they all agreed that no one disliked Anita or had any problems with her. But they did remember something that had happened a few weeks prior. At a local bar where a lot of the employees enjoyed hanging out, a man that worked at the shipping company approached and began talking to Anita. He started getting pushy after a few drinks and started teasing her pretty heavily, but she was annoyed with him and politely declined his advances and his relentlessness towards her. The man was visibly angry after this and irritated that Anita wouldn't accept his advances, but he left her alone. Anita's coworkers recall that he wasn't at work the day that Anita went missing. Hmm... So typical. <laughs> what the some bro at the bar to get mad because you don't want to hang out with him? Yeah, for real. Name. Detectives went to the man's home to question him further. When asked about what happened at the bar, he stated that it was just innocent. They were just friends and coworkers. But he also mentioned that the day he wasn't at work and the day Anita went missing, he had already spoken to his supervisor that he would be taking the day off to work on his car which his supervisor did confirm this. While law enforcement carried on with their investigation, Anita's family and friends started posting missing flyers all over town. That just sounds like premeditation to me. Right? Yeah. I mean... They asked if anyone saw Anita or her car and to please call law enforcement if they did. They even contacted news outlets to cover Anita's missing person case to hopefully draw in even more attention and even the attention of people outside of the Kokomo area. Search parties began forming between volunteers and law enforcement to scavenge the fields, woods, and other rural areas in and around Kokomo. Law enforcement even sent out helicopters to search for Anita's car. 
They believed, once that they found her car, that this would be the biggest clue to where she was. 48 hours after she went missing, a tip was called into Detective Rogers by the mother of a friend of Anita's. She told him that Anita was having problems with another co-worker at the shipping company. This man had been sexually harassing her at work, and she had filed a complaint, but nothing was ever done about it. Anita had mentioned to the friend and her mother that, quote, if she ended up in a dumpster somewhere, they would know who did it. Yeah, so pretty wild. Mm -hmm. I've had moments where I've thought that and probably said that about some people. Yeah, yeah. Detectives went back to the shipping company to get the record of the sexual harassment complaint, and Anita's supervisor said that he had nothing ever filed against the employee in question. He proceeded to tell them that the employee resigned three weeks prior, then left the state to attend college. The man was still considered a suspect until that they, they could get a solid alibi on the man the day of the kidnapping. So he went off to college? Mm-hmm. And he had a backpack? A blue one, a maybe. Blue, was it a blue backpack? <laughs> it's a blue backpack. Sorry. No, you're all right. I don't know really. I don't know really what to do because this is a survivor case, so I can't ask a bunch of questions trying well, to figure out. Well, there's so many people that are in question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, wild. and but yeah, it'll all be resolved. It'll in the all end. be resolved mm-hmm. in the end. I'm just yeah. gonna listen. Yep. <laughs> so back at the police station, detectives had Anita's boyfriend undergo a lie detector test. The test had only two questions: Did he have anything to do with Anita's disappearance? And did he know where Anita could be found? Both questions came back as deceptive. But they couldn't hold him considering they had no evidence at all that he was involved in her disappearance. And if you've been a listener for a while, you know how I feel about lie detector tests. Did they ask him, like, control questions? He just asked two. You have to have control questions. What's your name? What's the date today? They might have, but the the only two questions that they were concerning the case were, which, like I said, I think lie detector tests are just utter bullshit. I think Mm -hmm. it. I think that they're they're easily muffed. Yep. So and easily failed. mm Hmm. When asking Anita's close friends, they each stated that they didn't know anyone that would want to hurt or harm her in any way. Everyone really liked Anita especially her boyfriend, and they didn't believe that he should be a suspect at all. One friend stated that when she worked at a gym with Anita two years earlier, Anita was kind to everyone, and even the people that didn't deserve it. She did remember that a gym member that was particularly difficult to work with, Victor Steele. So he would often be flirtatious with the female employees and harass them. He would Everyone would just kind of brush it off and anything inappropriate that he did, especially Anita, because she was so kind. He wasn't a, he was a member of the gym. He was not an employee. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. She was always kind to him, even when rejecting him. She made extra effort to be kind to him, but eventually his membership was terminated due to continuous complaints and the inability for him to change any of his actions. Investigators did a background check on Victor Steele and discovered that he was a registered sex offender and been convicted for kidnapping in Monroe County, Indiana. But I just, how can you get gym memberships after that? I don't I don't understand. I mean shouldn't be allowed. To do you shouldn't, anything. but they can. Sex offenders shouldn't be allowed to work out at the gym? Not once they kidnap women. No. Fucking work out at home. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Shouldn't be around women. Yep. I could see him not being around schools. but Well, he's, he didn't kidnap a kid, did he? Doesn't matter. His sex offender can't be within... Yeah, right? it doesn't matter yeah. what they sex offend. <laughs> you mean who? Yeah, who? <laughs> or what? Yeah. So the kidnapping happened in Monroe County, Indiana, which is where Bloomington, Indiana is, and roughly two or so hours south of Kokomo. They weren't sure if Victor had any contact with Anita in the last two years, but at this point, he was suspect number one. Detective Rogers reached out to retired FBI profiler Steve McVeigh to help corroborate his theory about Victor. McVeigh looked over the crime scene reports, witness testimonies, and the backgrounds of each suspect. Victor's background 
definitely stood out and was very similar to Anita's disappearance. In December 1984, Victor Steele had stalked a woman on the campus of IU Bloomington where he attended as a student. The woman had continuously turned down Victor, but he was relentless. He ended up finding out where she lived, which was ironically not too far from his own home. One night, he waited outside her place until her boyfriend had left and he knew she was by herself. He approached her home, knocked on the door, and when she answered, he shoved his way in. He pulled a knife on her and threatened to kill her if she didn't submit to his sexual assault. He had a backpack that he used as a crime kit where he kept ropes, tape, and other objects that he may need during the assault. He then forced her at knife point to leave the home and to pretend like they were dating as they walked down the road. This was part of his fantasy. He liked feeling like he was dating the woman and she cared about him. He didn't think of this as just assault or rape. He was just convincing them to love him. And after he was done, he let his victim go under one agreement, that she wouldn't contact the cops. Obviously, she agreed. So he let her go and then she ran to the nearest payphone to call authorities. Victor Steele was arrested just a few short hours later, and he served eight years in prison for first-degree rape and abduction. While in prison, Victor Steele went completely irate. He refused to believe that his victim had done this to him, and he attempted suicide twice. So Victor had now known the mistakes that he had made with his first victim, and the cops feared that he wouldn't make the same mistakes again. So if he did abduct Anita... They were concerned that this time he might take the life of his victim. McVeigh stressed that when the detectives started looking into Victor, that they needed to keep the investigation completely under wraps as much as they could. Because if Anita was alive still and Victor found out that he was under investigation, he could potentially kill her and himself. Detectives were able to track down Victor's last known residence to quietly conduct surveillance two and a half days after Anita disappeared. He was living with his mother on the outskirts of Kokomo, and during the surveillance, they noticed that no one was coming or going from the home, so they didn't even know if anyone was even there. They tried to think of any way that they could find out who was in the home. And then they had a pure light bulb moment. Outside of the home was a car for sale. They used this as an opportunity to find out who was in the home under the guise that they were just normal citizens interested in purchasing the car. Undercover officers, fitted with wires, proceeded to check out the car for a while, then go up to the home to make contact with whomever was inside, hoping it was Victor Steele or maybe even seeing Anita. An older woman opened the door, and when asked about the car, she stated that the car belonged to her son. She then welcomed them into the home to discuss more about the vehicle and to negotiate price. This was their inn. Victor's mother stated that Victor wasn't currently home because he had moved to Wisconsin just a few weeks earlier, and unfortunately, the detectives couldn't search the house on their own because they didn't have a warrant. She also mentioned that he hadn't set up his phone in his new home, so she couldn't call him, And but she wasn't willing to sell the vehicle until she had spoken to him about it. The detectives agreed and said they looked forward to speaking to Victor directly. The profiler, McVeigh, began to believe that his mother may not have any idea what her son was capable of. It's not unlike abductees to take their victims to completely different places than where they are familiar with. Usually they prepare the place ahead of time before the abduction, so it was very likely that he wasn't in the home and the mother was being honest. Officers continued the 24-hour surveying as other detectives began to find out more information about Victor. They knew he was unemployed and drove a red pickup truck, but his current location and where he was staying was still a complete mystery. While detectives were diligently working, family and friends were worried that it was too late and because there was no information. They often would ask about the progress of the case, but law enforcement couldn't disclose disclose any information. If anything got out, it could jeopardize finding Anita alive and holding Victor accountable to the full extent of the law. Yeah. Two, three days is a long time. Yeah. Oh, for sure. They always say the first 48 hours. The first 48. Yeah, and they're the most crucial. Upon getting Victor Steele's credit card statements, they had found out that the truck that he had, he had rented, and the records from the rental company showed Victor had made a 900-mile round trip 
Investigators were about to track a 45-mile circle around Kokomo where Anita and Victor may be located. One place in particular that drew interest was La Crosse, Wisconsin, due to Victor getting gas and it being documented in the credit card statements. So Kokomo police reached out to the Wisconsin police to help with the investigation, and they obliged. Six days after Anita went missing, her vehicle had been located. It was located close to her home in Kokomo and only a few miles from Victor Steele's mother's house. The car was unlocked, and the keys were in the ignition, probably in hopes that it would be stolen. The police worried that they would find Anita's body in the trunk, and when they searched, all they found was the missing red robe her mother had told investigators about. Under the robe, they found cut zip ties, which was once again a positive sign. Mm-hmm. This made them believe that they were uh, uh, they were cut to help Anita get out of the vehicle, which meant she was alive at this point. They also searched the car for blood, semen, or other bodily fluids, but were unable to come back with anything. They also didn't find any fingerprints, but they did find what they thought was an elbow print, so they pulled it for prints. That's strange. I know. So he... Scrub the car down? Scrub the car, wore gloves, wore gloves or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can print an elbow? Yeah. Isn't that bonkers? I never knew that. Anything it's that leaves just grease. It's a giant finger. <laughs> yeah, if you do look at your elbow, it does have like a unique Mine's wrinkle mark. cracked and... Or not cracked, but <laughs> dry. Time and monetary resources were limited and big decisions needed to be made. Should Detective Rogers stay in Indiana or attempt to take the search for Anita to Wisconsin, where they suspected she may be. On a whim, Rogers decided to take a small group of investigators to La Crosse, Wisconsin, to meet with the officers they had been in communications with concerning Victor and Anita. They established a command center with only the idea that Victor was there based off the credit card statements. Investigators split off into two separate teams, looking all over La Crosse for Victor's rented red truck. Unfortunately, after searching all night, they came up empty-handed. They believed Anita was still alive because Victor's M.O. was control. He had no idea that Indiana officials were on to him and that he was in Wisconsin, but detectives were riding on pure hope and nothing else that this is where Victor and Anita were. Back in Indiana, detectives went back to the home of Victor's mother to ask about the car once again. His mother stated that she still didn't have a telephone number for her son, but she did have his address. So his mother gave them the address to write down, and they repeated it. So the officers listening through the wire could immediately get it and call the authorities in Wisconsin. Within minutes, the investigators in Wisconsin arrived at the address given and saw Victor Steele's red pickup truck outside the residence. Detective Steve Rogers contacted local authorities in La Crosse to go to the court to gain a search warrant for the building, the vehicle, and Victor himself so that they could search without Victor knowing. While they waited for the search warrant, investigators asked neighbors of the building if they knew anything about him and if he was renting the building. One neighbor was able to confirm that, yes, Victor was there because he was his tenant. Victor had contacted him in hopes to rent out the building to turn it into a bookstore, and the landlord was able to give the detectives a sketch of the layout of the whole building and even provided them with a key to get into the front door. McVeigh stressed to the officers that if they stormed the building to get to Anita, she would be very well secured inside that building. With Victor's histories, history, he would possibly kill her and then kill himself. So they needed to be very cautious about this because one wrong move could lead to Anita's blood being on their hands. At this point, they couldn't confirm who was in the building. With each passing moment, it led them further from getting the victim out alive. After a week of staking claim to surveying the building, officers watched as Victor finally left the building. They decided to follow him to see where he was going in case he didn't have Anita in the building but at a different location, and that's where he was headed. They followed Victor to a lumberyard where they followed behind him really closely to see what he was doing. Victor had made purchases of long pieces of lumber, which they suspected that he was using to possibly make a cage or something to keep Anita in. When Victor went back to his vehicle with the lumber, officers reported what they saw and continued to follow him. They needed to decide if they wanted to stop him before he led them to Anita or just wait it out. 
Detectives believed at this point they needed to stop Victor because they thought Anita was in the rental property. Before he could get back to the property, detectives signaled for local authorities to go ahead and pull him over for a routine traffic stop. They didn't have enough to stop him and arrest them themselves, and as the officer was conducting the traffic stop, FBI agents from Wisconsin approached. Special Agent Fitzgerald asked if Victor would be willing to assist them with their investigation because there was no probable cause for them to arrest him directly. Victor agreed to work with them, but he claimed he had no idea about Anita's disappearance. He then proceeded to lie about where he was staying and said he was living in his truck. He also told them that he believed all of this was going on because he failed to register as a sex offender within Wisconsin, which officers just allowed him to keep on believing. Mm -hmm. They didn't want him to panic and try to flee or not give them any helpful information. While Victor was being questioned, officers began to gear up outside of the building. Victor had been renting. They wanted to be prepared when they found out that the warrant had gone through. The officers waited impatiently for the physical search warrant, knowing that they had Victor and Anita may be right inside that building. Victor wasn't an immediate threat right now, but they were worried that the building could be booby-trapped or that Anita was inside suffering extensively. Time seemed to have just slowed down at that point. Finally, the search warrant arrived. Officers used the key that the landlord had given them to enter the front door of the building. They began their search, calling out for Anita, but there was no response. Each room they cleared one by one, and they began to think that maybe they were entirely wrong and Anita was not in the building at all. At the La Crosse FBI office, agents continued their questioning of Victor. When asked if he knew Anita, he said no but he did faintly remember a woman named Anita that worked at the health club he had attended years prior. Without his cooperation, officers feared that they wouldn't be able to find Anita, especially because now he knew about the investigation. He kept reminding them that he wasn't arrested, just detained, and they had nothing to arrest him concerning Anita's disappearance. He kept reminding them? Yes. Ooh. Yeah. The officers felt the heavy weight of this situation on them. At the building, there was one last room for agents to search. They still yelled out Anita's name with no response, but in the middle of the room, they found a large metal cabinet laying on its back, face up on the floor. In the handle of the cabinet was a broom handle and a butter knife, keeping it locked shut. Agents wanted to be as cautious as possible in case of traps or disturbing evidence, so they looked around the cabinet to be sure that there weren't bombs or other devices attached to it or the handle. While researching, they listened carefully if they could hear anything or anyone moving, and there was nothing. So carefully, they pulled the knife and the broom handle from the metal handles, and when they opened the door, they found Anita, alive. Anita told agents that he had told her, that Victor had told her that he might make fake noises or make her think that someone was there to save her, and if she called out, if she moved, if she made any noise, that he would immediately kill her. This is why she stayed quiet and stayed as still as possible. That's awful. Yeah. He so conditioned like, her. Oh, I'm testing. I'll be testing you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Outside the building, an emergency medical team was waiting to check over Anita. Other than being dehydrated, she was physically healthy. She hadn't eaten for eight days. The officers provided her whatever she wanted to eat as she explained everything that had went on with Victor. She stated that Victor came to her home around 1030 that morning, the day she went missing. She recognized him, and being the kind individual she was, she invited him into her home. He told her that he was out riding his bike in the heat and asked for a glass of water, which Anita didn't think twice about it because she knew how hot it had been out already that morning and knew Victor rode his bike everywhere. Of course she would get him a glass of water. She asked Victor to wait a moment while she wiped up blood from the table and floor where she had cut herself earlier. Oh my gosh, of course. Yeah. As she bent down, Victor saw this as the perfect opportunity to get out a stun gun from his backpack, and he hit Anita with it in the stomach, and she fell to the ground, where he was able to gain complete control of her and bound her wrists with zip ties. Before they left the home, Victor disguised himself in women's clothes that he had stored in his backpack. He also made sure to put the robe and her parents' comforter around Anita to hide her bound wrists. He tried to shove her out the kitchen window. Why, I don't know, but he failed. He then took her out the kitchen door to the garage and proceeded to put her in the trunk of her own car. He drove to his mother's home where he dragged Anita inside and raped her. 
Anita said she always said that she would rather be killed than raped, but immediately she put herself into survival survival mode. She knew she had to push through this. She refused to die like this and leave her parents with so many questions. Victor left his mother's home and immediately went to the building that he had already rented. He showed her the metal cabinet and told her that if she tried to escape, he would know. And then he put a quarter on top of the door to indicate whether she moved the doors or not. When word got back to the FBI office, Victor Steele was immediately put under arrest. He showed no remorse or guilt for what he had done. If there was any emotions toward the situation, he was just pissed that he got caught. When Anita returned home to Kokomo, there was a huge welcome party outside of the police station on her arrival. Everyone was ecstatic that she was home and was now safe. The officers commented that they had been through so many situations where the outcome was awful, and even though Anita had trauma and suffered, she was finally home and alive. The trial for Victor Steele was held in January of 1999. Victor was convicted with kidnapping, carjacking, and illegal weapons possession, but not rape as a registered sex offender, which makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah, what the? Yeah, I don't know. He acted as his own attorney during the five-day trial. The jury only deliberated for three days and concluded that he was guilty on all charges. He was sentenced to life without parole in the United States Penitentiary in Texas. Hell yeah. Yep. Okay. Right. After Anita's experience, she decided that she wanted to pursue a career in law enforcement and criminal investigation. She considered being an FBI agent to help others like she was helped and to get criminals off the streets. But instead, she chose to be a victim's advocate and even wrote a book retelling her story titled Eight Days in Darkness, The True Story of the Abduction, Rape, and Rescue of Anita Woldridge. There have also been several shows that have covered her story, including FBI Files, True Crime Files, and Three Days to Live on Bravo, and an investigation discovery documentary called Bound in a Box, The Story of Anita Woldridge. So, Ashley, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on this? I have one question. And I know you're already thinking this, but he went through all that trouble to put that robe on her and put that blanket on her and then try to shove her out a fucking window like people aren't going to be like, why is someone shoving I that know. person out of a window? I know. It doesn't make any sense. When he was just going to get back into the car, her own car, why would you not go out the... Just walk out. Yeah. You have a stun gun. She's doing, she's doing what you say. Well, why would you want to take her outside, shove her out the window to the outside when you could just go through the door? Dumb criminal. Dumb yeah, criminal. Yeah, for sure. So that was uh, if she tra- if he tried to push her out the window. You said it was a kitchen window. Mm-hmm. That's why the screen was in the garage. He, he must he have put, it. dragged it in there. I'm assuming like he went out the kitchen door. You said eventually. Yes, I'm. Well, what I'm assuming is maybe it fell back in. Maybe her blanket or her robe caught it and took it into the garage with that them. could be. Well, and I mean, does it ever even mention if it's a detached garage or an attached? It might have been a detached garage. So there wasn't a door to get from the house to the garage. So. I from the um, they did like a one of those. What are they called? Like a recreation? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. They did. One, That's what this means. You like my hand? Oh, the hand flipping around like yeah. a yeah. recreation. Recreation. Yeah. 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 They. When I watched that, the garage was attached directly to the kitchen. Okay. Well, then that's probably what... That's what I'm assuming... That's probably the scenario. Yeah. Hmm. You said they... How long did they wait on the search warrant? It was like a couple hours. They immediately got the judge on it because this had been a pretty... My question is, the owner of the property gave them a key... At what point does that bypass a search warrant? Does that give give them an an in? Because he didn't own it. Yeah, but yeah. when you are a when you are a tenant and you have a signed lease, you take temporary ownership of just that uh, not dwelling. unit, that dwelling. That's the word I was looking for. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, they're just trying I to dot all their T's. Yeah, and I have eyes. signed a lease that literally said you will take temporary ownership of this dwelling. Did you say what I thought you yeah. said? Okay. <laughs> well, what, I didn't even hear it. Dot all your T's and cross all your eyes. Oh. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> People say that all the time. And the the last the last question um, before I have an actual statement. Uh, did you say they tried him in Texas? No, they tried him in Indiana. But they sent him to they Texas. They sent him. Okay. You know how they okay. like ship off. 
people right. all okay. the time. I missed. I missed. Perps. I just missed that somewhere. Yeah, I don't know if Indi- does Indiana even have like a max security prison for people like that uh, in v- Valpo, Laporte, over by there. Maybe it was full. What is the one in Pimbleton? And there's Peru, Penitentiary. Maybe there's a lot. Yeah. I don't know. That's Miami County. Yeah, and yeah. that's <laughs> my mother-in-law lives over by there uh-huh. on base on the Air Force Base, and there's signs everywhere that say "Do not pick, pick up hitchhikers." Yeah, do not pick up. Oh yeah, God. that's amazing. Um, and, oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, me. Go ahead. Okay, yep. I'll go. Um, my question is. What was their reasoning behind not letting the mother in? Did they think maybe she would tip him off? Because they said that, like, why didn't they search that dwelling? They were pretending to be buyers. Yeah. So they wanted to keep that up for a little bit. Okay. And in case they he came out Called of nowhere the, okay, or he okay. did call them okay. or whatever. And it worked out because she had his address. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, thanks, mom. <laughs> for real. Mm-hmm. What are the chances? That... She's like trying to be helpful. Yeah. Love it. I love well, and what are the, I'm I'm going to be honest with this. What are they going to do in Indiana with an address for this guy who's in Wisconsin when all they want to do is purchase a car? Right. Write him a letter. Wait, what year was this? 1998. Write him a letter. I guess. <laughs> we well, had cell phones back then, right? Yeah. Yeah, but what do you? How would you do with no, the address? I know that, but I'm just I'm the likelihood real... he was unemployed, so yeah. the likelihood that he was going to have a cell phone. I mean, he was renting a vehicle. Why he was renting a vehicle when he was selling his own car mm. and riding a bike around town all the time? Like the dude was wacky. Yeah, what did he do in that car he's trying to sell? Mm. Well, you can tell that the dude was very premeditated and everything. If he had women's clothing in his backpack along with the stun <laughs> gun and yeah, all like that how stuff. did he find out where she lived? Oh, he, he had been stalking. Yeah, he had been watching for a while. And in the recreation, they had him wearing like a woman's wig and full like she, he had a necklace on, I believe. And like, oh, wow. yeah, he was. They really went for it. Yeah, right. So, Steve Rogers, Victor Steele. Is this a Marvel comic book or what's going on here? Because oh yeah, Victor Steele. Yeah, too. wasn't wasn't Victor what was <laughs> Victor Steele like part of like. Doctor, wasn't he like Doctor Doom? <laughs> I don't know. I should ask Roy. He's like my residential comic I'm book nerd. I, it's not Steel, but I, I think his um, first name was Victor. Yeah, I was looking at my phone Victor while you were Doom. talking. Yeah, that's what it was. Because <laughs> I was googling him. I wanted to see a picture of him. Did you find one? Yeah, he looks gross. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you keep it up Excuse there? Well. I, maybe I wanted no. to see it. You want to see? Yeah, because that's something I think we should start doing up in here. Is like having. I don't know. Like, we have real photographs. Oh, pictures of. But yeah, it just. So they give you an idea. Well, yeah, and it helps you just visualize the story better, I think. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, maybe we should do that. Do you have a projector? It's a video, so I didn't want to click on it. Do you have a projector? Well, it'd be fun to get a projector and put it on the. Could do that. Here, let me, let me, oh, let me bring it back. Oh, yeah, see, that's it. Bring it back. I put my glasses on so I can see. <laughs> For some reason, Victor Steele is actually a really common name. Oh, gotcha. Type in Anita Woldridge. Yeah, I think it's this one. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, that's a good his looking, hair, his hairline's like psychotic looking mother. His shirt just says jail. Yeah. <laughs> this is a plain white t-shirt that says jail. Yeah, he's a little odd. Yes. A lot of odd. But yeah, I thought that was a nice little feel-good case. That was case. a great story. I watched some interviews that she had done, and she just seems like a very, just, I don't I don't know any other, but just a pure soul. Like, a humble. Yeah, just really sweet and kind, and what were you going to say, Jane? Is she a good-looking girl? She's pretty. Yeah? I yeah. mean, it seems she's like every, time, red hair every and... time she go out, she's getting hit on or... Well, harassed or, and I think it doesn't help that she's so kind because think about, guys take drawn that to the that. wrong way. Guys yeah. take that the Especially wrong way. Especially disturbed guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like no offense to you, but when you're, when you're not intimidating as a woman and you come off as just kind of kind and meek men, it doesn't matter what you look like. Men will take advantage of that mm-hmm. and they will think that. That's like an easy booty call or like you have low self-esteem. Or they'll so. literally think that you are attracted to them just because you're nice. Yeah. 
I guess I should apologize because it, you know, that's kind of a, I don't know, kind of a question that probably. Oh no, it's understandable because she's having all these issues. So, I mean, understandably so, but I really think it's more of her personality that, yeah, yeah. that men just think that. It draws them in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it is, like this animalistic thing in men, sorry, but it's like they want, they don't like intimidating women. So no, they don't. I really condone any man that is with a woman that is considered intimidating because, like my husband. That's <laughs> a great example. Mm-hmm. And uh, Taylor and Kyle. Yeah. Yeah, because she can come off as intimidating and not in a bad way she, at yeah. all. But She just, she speaks her mind and. Yep. She's a strong woman. Yep. And she's got Kyle there to balance her out. Just like Roy's there to balance me out. Because Roy's, we're two different. I haven't found the saying to my crazy yet. (laughs) (laughs) I always say Roy is the um, uh, Greg to my Dharma. Do you remember that show? Dharma and Greg. I always say. Oh, Dharma and Greg. (laughs) Said it wrong. (laughs) I always say he's the Greg to my Dharma. Yeah, because she was like real loopy. Yeah. She's a little odd, and he's more straight-laced, mm-hmm. and that's Roy and I. <laughs> that's the same guy from Criminal Minds, just saying. It Thomas is. Gibson. It is, you're right. Love him. Yeah, I was going to say, too, this literally played out like an episode of Criminal Minds. Like, to a Good, I'm glad, because I was really a little worried did. about this one, about how I was going to write it, and how I was going to keep you intrigued, so. It was Perfect. I really hope that uh, you all enjoyed this week's episode and the change of pace. And if you'd like to, feel free to let us know what you think about survival stories. Every so often, maybe we'll throw in a solved or survival story to give listeners and ourselves a break from unsolved cases. Uh, You can contact us at our email, murdernerds at gmail.com, or search for murdernerds on all popular social media. If you would rather be anonymous with your opinions, located in our bios on all of our social media platforms is a Linktree account that you can click and find at the top a link to our survey page. It's completely anonymous, and if you want to drop your username or your name in there, feel free. We don't mind. Whatever you're comfortable with. While you're on our social media pages, you can find photos and maps of each case that we cover. Don't forget to subscribe to us anywhere that you enjoy listening to podcasts. We're found pretty much everywhere at this point, but if you are an Apple podcast or Spotify listener, please rate and review within the app. This is the best and easiest way to help support us at Murder Nerds. Plus, it's completely free. This helps us move up in the charts and also gets us noticed by sponsors and ads. Anything else you guys want to say? Nope. Make sure to go check out The Green Bee. Yep. Oh, go yes. Go check out The Green Bee. Yes. yes. And... Um, Golden Image Podcast. And Golden Image Podcast. Absolutely. (laughs) Until next week, friends, stay safe out there. Bye. Bye.